this morning. I wanted to come to you this morning and give you uh, a, a little bit of heads up. So <clears throat> Pastor Stan and Pastor Liz are retiring, of course, and um, we are going to have a party, a celebration for them on July the 18th from 3 to 5. So if you want to come and be a part of that, that would be awesome. They would love to have you here, and we would love to see you here and, um, and let them know how much we love them. And Pastor Liz and Pastor Stan, they wanted me to have some boxes made up uh, for them so that you could uh, give gift cards and uh, thank you cards. Oh, wait a second. Why is Pastor Stan texting me? Oh. Sorry about that, Pastor Stan. Uh, apparently, uh, I got these backwards, and uh, he wanted the, uh, the bigger box for the uh, gift cards and uh, the smaller box for the thank you cards. So just want to get that fixed up. Oh, yeah. We're going to miss them. So come and celebrate with us. We're going to have a great time. And for real, there is a box that's marked love offerings out in the foyer that you can give cards and you can give whatever you want to give, except for grenades. I'm pretty sure they don't want grenades. Don't put any of that. But put your gift cards and things like that just to let them know how much we love them and appreciate them and appreciate their service here. You also can go to our website. You can uh, give electronically there. There'll be a, um, also a QR code that you can hold your camera up to and let it in the camera mode, let it see that. And it will take you to the link where you can press um, to give to Pastor Stan and Pastor Liz. After, this, after our message this morning, we are going to be taking communion. So if you haven't gotten one of the little communion cups um, as you came in this morning, be sure and uh, do that. Or uh, whenever we go to do that, I'll have you raise your hand if you don't have them and we can bring them to you. If you do have them, hold on to them because I'm going to give a little bit of instruction about what to do. Um, let's see here. Okay, so, well, I may need to go over there um, and turn that on there, um, Chris. But we are, um, so hold on to those juice cups. I'm gonna give you a little bit of instruction about what to do with those and how to open those because they're a little bit tricky. And those of you at home who would like to take uh, communion with us, if you want to go ahead and gather some bread, gather some crackers, some water, some juice, and if you wanna gather those, hold on to them and you can uh, join us in taking communion uh, in, in a little bit. So, wow, it's great to be with you. Can I just open up and uh, with a word of prayer this morning and as we get going and as we dig into God's word this morning? Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for your love and for your grace in our lives. Lord, it is with you only and only in your power, Father, that we draw close to you. And in this morning as we talk, I pray, Father, that you, will, that you will take the limelight, that you will take center stage here, and Lord, that your words and your message would be heard. God, we love you. Jesus, thank you so much for your death on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, um, uh, 
we are starting and continuing rather on a series that Pastor Tim started last week on Philippians. And it's about habits that we can have daily that help bring us closer to God. It is called, a series called More Than Happiness. Now, whether or not you're a Christ follower or if you're a Christian doesn't make any difference, we can all agree that we like to feel happy. And whether you're an adult or a child, we can also agree that we like to, we would like to be happy more often and more happy. And lastly, we can all agree on this, that happiness is fleeting. And the more that you pursue happiness, the more unhappy you become. So the question is, is, is if happiness is not sustainable, where does it come from and who do we need to seek what it is that we need to find? Who does it come from? So Paul, who is the author of Philippians, has some street cred whenever it comes to thriving in a world that can seem to be against you. So he has some good um, tips for us to be able to use to help keep our head up and to press or to continue to strive forward in what can sometimes be a crazy world. Now, Paul, if you remember, has been thrown into jail. He's been whipped. He's been starved. He's been stoned to the point where they thought he was dead, so they drug him out of the city. And Paul has been, um, yet, he still, Paul says, yet, still I rejoice and I, in all circumstances that God has given me. So I think whenever somebody like Paul, who says to us that he can still rejoice and he can still give God glory in all of his circumstances, I think we should listen to someone like Paul. So if you weren't with us last week, now we talked about the first habit was this, that we can develop in our daily habits and our daily routines to help bring us more happiness. And the habit number one is this, we relax in God's grace. We breathe and we remember that God has it in control. And it says this, it says, we Christians glory in what Jesus has done for us. And we realize that we are helpless to save ourselves. You see, we glory in what Jesus has done. Because you know, we humans, we mess it up all the time. We can never get it straight, but we can know that Christ gets it perfect every time. So we glory in what he has done. And then we also learn this, that God already loves you. There's nothing that you have to prove. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. God already loves you. You see, you're kind of a big deal to God. He loves you so much and he wants a daily relationship. He wants daily interaction with you so that he can speak to you. Now in 2 Timothy, Paul says this, and he warns us though that there are certain traps that we have to be aware of. There are certain things out there that the devil has set up for us so that we fall into the traps and we get hung up. And so he says, and so he says, escape from the traps of the devil. 
Well, what's the first trap that we have to escape? Well, we learned that it was legalism. And like the guy in the video said, there is nothing that we can say, there's nothing that we can do in order to be enough. You can't suck up to God and say, oh God, you're so great. God, you're so marvelous. God, you're so awesome. Because God's gonna look at you and go, yeah, I know. So there's nothing that we can do that's going to make us, God love us anymore. And God is not interested in us checking off boxes so that we can check him off in our daily habits. So God wants to always be doing something in your life. God always wants you to be moving. He always wants you to be pressing. He always wants you to be moving towards that goal. And the second thing, the second habit we want to remember is this. Remember what motors, what matters most. Now, Pastor Tim, if I remember right, if I'm getting this right from last week, he talked about how he and Pastor Stan uh, grew up together as teens back in the 1930s. And, and uh, Pastor Stan was always trying to, I'm trying to remember this, Pastor Stan was always getting him in trouble. And then he said, Pastor Liz lived like a few houses down and she was always having to be the voice of reason to say, I don't, guys, don't think you guys are doing it right. I, I think I'm getting that right. Maybe I'm getting that wrong, I don't. Don't we love our Pastor Tim and Pastor Stan and Pastor Liz? Don't we love them? Ah, oh, woo. Thank you for that. That maybe gets me out of the doghouse whenever Pastor Tim comes back, <laughs> right? So, but if you remember what Pastor Tim said, it was this. He said, God changes our want to. It's not that we don't do things because we shouldn't do them. It's not that we don't do them because it might affect our witness to those around us, but instead we don't do them because we just don't want to anymore. Those things have lost their appeal. And so Paul says in verse seven, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. I once thought, what was it that made him consider those things worthless? It's because of what Christ had done in his life. Christ always wants to be doing in your life. Now, here's the trap. The trap is culture. Now our culture wants to say that everything around you is important, right? My phone tries to make me happy. Google tries to make me happy. And there's this lady out there named Alexa that is trying to make everybody happy, right? It is, and, and the culture says, you are important, but the truth about happiness is that it is elusive. It's different to every person and it changes as we grow older. Toys are no longer important to me. Well, certain toys are no longer important to me, right? But those things as we grow older, the things that we consider to make us happy change over time. Now, the third habit is this. Third habit to help sustain happiness is get to know Jesus better. Paul said in verse 10 that he wanted to know and experience the power that raised Christ from the dead. And we talked about this verb of to know, and we talked that it wasn't just to know about Christ, but it was to know Christ in an 
intimate and a deep way. The only way that you get to know somebody like that is by speaking with them, by talking with them, by asking about them, by studying them. Paul wanted to know Jesus in a personal way. But here's the trap to getting to know Jesus better. It is this. The trap is busyness. Business takes from our family, it takes from our friends, it takes from our relationships with our spouse, it takes from our relationships with our boyfriend, our girlfriend, it takes from our relationships with the most important person being God. Busyness destroys relationships because we allow the things that we think they're important fill our time and it takes away from those important habits or from the important relationships that we have. Now, the next habit was this. It's number four. And here's where we pick up. The fourth habit to help sustain happiness is ask God to show you where you need to grow. Now, Stephen Covey published a book back in 1989, and I'm sure that many of you know the name of it. It sold 25 million copies. It is called The Seven Habits of What? Highly Effective People. And in that book, Stephen Covey wrote this. He wrote that until a person can deeply and honestly say that I am what I am today because of the decisions that I made yesterday, that person cannot say that I choose otherwise. So let me say that one more time. Until a person can say deeply and honestly that I am today because of the decisions that I made yesterday, that person cannot say, I choose otherwise. In other words, the choices that you make affect who you are. Or I should also say, the choices that you don't make affect who you are. And the first habit that Covey lists in his book is this. The first habit that he says of a highly effective person is that they are proactive. People who want to grow are constantly striving. They're constantly pushing. They're constantly pressing to be better today than they were yesterday. And the one thing that you got to know about growth is this. Growth is intentional. I mean, just ask a farmer. I mean, initially, sure, anything that has the potential life for the potential for life, you can just throw on the ground, cover it up with a little bit of dirt, and it's going to grow. But at some point, good growth is going to stop unless there are some intentional decisions made to help that plant continue to grow. And the same thing it is in our spiritual life. And Paul makes the reference to it in Philippians uh, verse 13 or verse 12, rather, he writes this. He says, not that I have obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. 
So Paul understands that there is some intentionality that I have in, in pushing towards my goal and pushing and making my, my faith stronger by saying he has not obtained and he has not arrived. And those words that we see there are words that are often used whenever you're talking about uh, sports. Because the sports words here, obtain and arrived, if you know that they mean that there is work ahead. You haven't obtained it, you haven't arrived there, and there is still work ahead. And until you have finished the race, you are always going to be working at the things that you want in life. And then Paul continues on, he says this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Let me say that again. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. You know, there's one thing about pressing and pushing. It is always on purpose. You see, my body doesn't just automatically throw itself against a, a couch and press it up two flights of stairs. My body just, uh, does anybody's body just throw yourself up against the couch? Right? It's intentional. I intentionally put myself against that. As a matter of fact, I don't do that anymore. I'd rather pay for somebody for them to press their body up against the couch and push it up two flights of stairs for me. Right? So there is always something intentional about pressing and about pushing. There's an interesting phrase here that Paul uses, the phrase that for which. Now we can, in the Greek, that phrase, if we can take that phrase in, from the Greek and if we can put it into one English word that we have for us, it is the word because. That for which we can say is the word because. And whenever we do that, it adds some clarity and it adds, and it adds a little bit of umph behind why Paul is saying that he is striving or pushing. And let's see what he says. But I press on to take hold, what? Because Christ took hold of me. And I always like to put a little word at the end of that first. Isn't that how Christ is? He's always taking the first step. He's always pursuing us. He is always after you. He's always pushing you. He's encouraging you to press on. And that is why Paul is doing that because Christ took hold of him. And we want Christ to take hold of us. So let me ask you something. Whether you're watching today, whether you're in here, whether you're a Christian or not, I don't, I don't know. But let me ask you this question. What has got a hold of you today? What is it that has gotten a hold of your life today that maybe you're losing sleep over, that maybe that you struggle or, or whatever it is that makes you press on or push on? What is it in your life that has got a hold of you and whenever you look back, maybe a week from now, maybe a year from now, are you going to be saying to yourself, this is where I wanted to be. What I had a hold of a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, 
this is the picture that I had in my head, is, is what you have, what you have a hold of, is it going to get you to where you want to be in your relationship with Christ? And if you do follow Christ today, let me ask you, is your faith stronger today than it was last week, last month, last year? Are you asking yourself the question that the psalmist asks in Psalm 139, where it says, search me, oh God. Oh boy, that can open up a can of worms sometimes in our life, can it? To be searched and know my heart, test me. Oh, in school, I never did well in tests. But are we asking God, test me and know my anxious thoughts? And he goes on to say, point out. <laughs> How many times have you gone up to see anybody and said, hey, would you just point out anything in me that offends you? No, we don't like to do that, right? But we're saying, God, point out anything in me that would offend you. And then God, take me by the hand and lead me along the path of righteousness. So here's the trap though. Here's the one thing that's gonna keep you from growing. Here's the one thing that's going to make you look back and say, and make you say, I'm here, but man, I wish I was there. What is that trap that's going to keep you from moving on? And it's this, that trap is pride. You know what pride does? Pride turns people into tumbleweeds, right? And tumbleweeds, whenever they, they get all puffed up, but tumbleweeds are so easily blown by the wind back and forth. And I, don't, I haven't really seen any tumbleweeds up here in Indiana, but I know back in Oklahoma, tumbleweeds were everywhere. As a matter of fact, people had tumbleweed fences to keep tumbleweeds from coming into their property. And you would see fences just piled up with tumbleweeds. Right, because if you have a tumbleweed that, go, that blows across your property, do you know what it's doing as it's rolling across your property? It's putting out all these little baby tumbleweed seeds, right? And nobody wants that tumbleweed seed in their property. And as a person, pride can do that to us too. Pride can show, sow seeds in our hearts and our lives that we don't want to be there. But then on the other side of that, humbleness. What do humble people do? Humble people look for wisdom and they look for understanding. And they look, this is important, they look to be, to, they look to understand more than they look to be understood. Humble people look to understand more than what they look to be understood. And Jesus, who is a brother of, uh, or James, who is a brother of Jesus, says in his own book in, in uh, chapter four, verse 10, he says, humble yourselves. What are, well, what's gonna happen if we humble ourselves? What is God going to do to us if we humble ourselves? What's he gonna do? Bible says he will lift you up, all right? And, and he will hold you close to him. Here's the last habit. The last habit to help sustain happiness in your life is this, forget what can't be changed and focus on the future. Forget what can't be changed and focus on the future. Now, back in August 7th of 1954, 
in Vancouver, Columbia, there were two athletes that were paired together. It was Roger Bannister and John Landy. And these two both had broken the four mile record. Can you imagine running a mile in under four minutes? That's incredible. So these two were paired up in the Commonwealth Games. And as the world was watching them and what would later become known as the Miracle Mile, whenever the gun went off and Roger Bannister and John Landy started running, they were started to run with the pack, but eventually the both of them pulled away from the pack. And Roger Bannister was just a little bit ahead of John Landy until about 90 yards from the finish line. And Roger Bannister made a critical mistake. Here's what Roger Bannister's mistake was. Did you see that? And here's the race right here. There you go. See, can we run that back one more time? Just be looking as they start rounding the corner and see if you can see here, look, and right here. Did you see it? Roger Bannister just instantly changed his mindset in that race whenever he looked around to the left to see where John Landy was. Because Roger Bannister's mindset went from running to win the race to running not to lose the race. And you know what? Whenever we're running a race, that's a big difference in your mindset. If you're running to win the race and you're running not to lose the race. So we have to keep our eyes straight forward and we have to keep looking straight ahead because here's the picture that, um, that Roger Bannister had to, uh, I bet that was a moment captured in time that he wished he could have had back, the moment that he just looked over his left shoulder. So many of us have been caught doing the same thing in our life. As we are running and as we are running this race and as we are walking our Christian faith, so many times we waste our time because we are looking back to what is behind us and we're not letting go of those things that we've done back here and we're allowing them to continue to haunt us in, in the back of our mind. And some of those things are bad things, I understand. You know, divorce and, and abuse. Um, addiction and lies. Those are the things that hold so tightly to us. And others though are achievements, achievements that we have tied our life to, that we have tied our identity to. And we are not letting go of those because we have identified who we are and we are letting those be on our back and we're just looking back all the time to them. And here's what Paul says to that in, in chapter three, verse 13. He says, brother and sisters. Now he's talking to the Philippian church and some of these, the people in the Philippian church think that Paul has already arrived. I mean, look at Paul, look at all what he's done. And Paul wants them to know, I have not arrived. And he says, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. And Paul is reminding them that this, this walk in faith, this walk in life, it is, as Christ followers, it is a process that we go through. We haven't obtained, we haven't arrived. We are constantly pushing. We are constantly pressing ahead until that day that we finish the race. We have to be proactive 
and taking hold of it and not considering ourselves to have been there. You know, sometimes we think that we have, we're there, but Paul says we're not. And we have to have the mindset that we are continually pressing on to take hold of it. I wanna show you a little video here. You know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. Your finger? One thing, just one thing. All right, so in City Slickers, he says, hey, do you know what the secret of life is? This. Finger? <laughs> Your finger? No. One thing. And I want to ask you this, right? What is your one thing? What is the one thing in your life that you hold the closest and the dearest? Or in Paul's words, what is your it? What is that that you strive for? That you press on? What is it that you are looking to take a hold of in your life? And so to answer that question, Paul says this. He says, but I do this one thing. So the church leans in because they're waiting to hear that one thing. And I mean, how many times have you just been frustrated and you said, oh, just tell me what the one thing is and I'll do it. Just what is the one thing? And so Paul's saying, Here's the one thing that I do. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. That's his one thing. Forgetting what is behind and straining what is ahead. But you know what? Here's the trap to this. Here's the trap. The trap is regret and unforgiveness. Regret and unforgiveness. So regret is not always a bad thing. Regret, the good part of regret can be, you know, if, if your kids are unhappy because you're missing their ball games and they're sad because you're never there at their events, regret can say to you and can motivate you to say, you know what? My kids are only gonna be little for so long. I need to peel back and I need to, I need to pay more attention to them. I need to stop working so much. I need to be there for them because they want me there. That's a good part of regret. Regret can help you make some positive changes, but there's a bad part of regret too in that regret can make you, can bring you back and hold you back because of things that you cannot change. And it's those things that we can't change in our lives that is what holds us and what has such a tight grip on us. And you know about unforgiveness, right? You know, unforgiveness is a liar. Unforgiveness tells you that it's your friend. Unforgiveness tells you that it will give you identity. Unforgiveness says that it will give you strength. Unforgiveness tells you that it's really not your fault about how you feel. It's their fault. So unforgiveness lies to us and unforgiveness holds us back. And the, and the thing about those things is that they want to keep you always looking back in your life. But Isaiah 43 says this in verse 18. It says this, 
Forget the former things. Forget the things that are behind and do not dwell on the past. Now, is that verse saying now that I just need to forget whatever happened yesterday, whatever happened last week, do I just need to forget about it? No, it's not saying that. It's not saying that if there isn't something that you can say in a better way, something that you can do in a better way, something that can make you a kinder person, you should do that. You need to make those changes. But it is talking about those things that you can't change, those things that will hold you down, but there's nothing that you can do about it. It says, forget those things and do not dwell on the past. And then in verse 19, Isaiah writes this, see, I, being God, am doing a new thing. I love that word doing. God is always wanting to be doing in your life. He is always wanting to be moving in your life. He wants to always be doing a new thing, not an old thing. God wants to be doing a new thing. And here's the truth about regret and forgiveness is that you have to cut them loose. If you do not cut regret and unforgiveness loose, they are always going to be dragging you down because that is what they want to do the most. Paul says in verse 14, he says this, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I like it that Paul uses the word or the phrase has called me, because back in those days, you see the announcer at the games that they would play in, they would often call out the winner to have them come to the platform. You know, one day, I wonder if we'll get to do burnouts in in Victory Circle, you know? Whenever Jesus comes, because I just want to do a burnout, you know? Because I love the smell of rubber, you know? And I just wonder, whenever we get there, as God calls us out, and he calls us to the victory circle, right? And today, maybe you, don't, maybe you don't know Christ as your personal savior. And you wonder, how do I get to have my name called out? How do I get to have that name called out? Well, here it is. For God did not send his world or his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I much would rather have a savior than a condemner any day. And Jesus has come into this world to save the world through him. And you know what, if, if that is you, if you're you saying to yourself today, man, I, I'm not a Jesus follower, but you know, the things that I hold in my life, the things that I hold tight to, the things that I count the most, you know, they're, they're really not doing a real great job of getting me where I want to be. There are, there's too many times whenever I say, and I look back and I say to myself, you know what? I never pictured myself being here today. Where I thought that I was going to be in a year, two years or five years, where back then where I thought I was going to be, I see where I am now. And that picture just doesn't match. The good news for you is this. Jesus came to save you. Jesus did not come to condemn. Jesus has come to love those and he has come to call those because eventually one day, you know what his goal is? To have everybody in the winner's circle. 
And so I invite you, if you do not know Jesus, to ask him to forgive you and to lead you, to search you, and to test you so that he can lead you along that path of righteousness. Jesus wants that in your life because one day he wants to call you to the winner's circle. Well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you so much for your mercy, for your grace. (laughs) I thank you so much that you want to always be doing a new thing. You are not a God of old. You are not a God of doing the same old thing. You are a God of doing new things in us. And I thank you that you do that. One day, Lord, we look forward to hearing you call out our name and we look forward to having you come, have us come to the victory circle so that we can be at the foot of the throne. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. And Father, I pray that as you are speaking to people today, God, that they will give their lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we have communion next, right? Okay. And so, now, I know you're going to be tempted. You just, just give me a second before you go cracking those uh, juice cups. And, you know, whenever you're a children's pastor and you've worked with kids so much, you call them juice, juice boxes and goldfish crackers. But before you go uh, to pull those back, if you will notice at the very top, where did those little, there they go. Thank you, Ashton. You will notice that there is a little cellophane wrapper at the top of this that holds your wafer in, okay? Do not grab the purple tab and pull off the top so that you get your juice out first. If you'll just get that little cellophane wrapper and just pull that back and get your your wafer out first. And then you can, whenever you're ready, you can pull that purple tab back out to get the, the juice, okay? All right. Is there anybody in here that does not have a communion cup? Anybody that does not have any? We want to be sure that everybody has. Okay. Somebody here, we can get. There we go. Thank you. Anybody else? And online, while we're waiting here, if you want to gather those elements with you, you know, if you're a Christ follower and if you have accepted Jesus in your heart, we invite you to take communion with us this morning. So do we have everybody? We good? Everybody good? All right. If you will, just join with me and uh, getting your your wafer out here. You know, on that day, during the Last Supper, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, this is my last dinner with you. And this bread is a bread of my body. It is a symbol of my body that has been broken for you. Take this and remember me. And then after he had broken the bread and they had taken, he held up a cup and he said to them this cup is a symbol 
The juice is a symbol of my body, of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take this and remember me. Father, we thank you. Jesus, thank you for allowing your body to be broken, for allowing your blood to be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. We are eternally grateful to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.